put up over a hundred faces of our beautiful loved ones lost to overdoses for International Overdose Awareness Day. Beautiful kids. Micah, Jared, Stacy, Justine, Matthew and Brandon, Adam. Beautiful, beautiful young lives gone too soon to an overdose. We have an epidemic going on here in Orange County. sick and tired of the deaths. This is my son, Jared. These are his close friends, Riley, Ryan, John. This is my cousin, Damon. And this is Jared's close friend, Max. Beautiful, beautiful kids. Look at Alex, who died two months ago, 14 years old. He went online and he ordered what he thought was Oxycontin. It was laced with fentanyl. And this is Alex. Sweet Casey, sweet Tyler, Harley, Jessica, Mark, Nolan, 15 years old. They are young. I heard today there was another 14-year-old and a 17-year-old who died. I heard today that there was a girl who was dropped out of her car and she was left to die. But thank God, there is a man who gave her Narcon and she survived, but she would have been another statistic. This is uh, Recovering Through Highness. My name is Eric McCoy. You know, August 31st has become an international day of awareness for drug overdoses. And this awareness day began in Australia in 2001. And as of 2020, it spread to nearly or maybe even over 40 countries. You know, the sadness and the hurt that sits deep in my heart and in my life, you know, whether it be during my personal drug using days or the many years fighting to help people save their lives. I've lost many friends. I've lost clients who have walked out the door of rehab and became a statistic in this epidemic and family who had fallen to this battle. The great thing that we are seeing is that we have more and more people as well as organizations working together to bring education and life-saving tools to those that are struggling. September, which is right now, is National Recovery Month to educate Americans that substance abuse treatment and mental health services can enable those with mental and substance use disorders live a healthy and a rewarding life. Now, my guest today is one of my favorite individuals that oh. is crawling through the mud with me. Jody Barber, who understands the pain behind drug overdoses with her son, Jared. And I want to say really quick, and I don't really like the term lost your son because he isn't lost. 
I see his spirit everywhere. Mm, thank you. Jo- Jody, as always, it is great to see you, and I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, Jody has always made herself available to me, whether it be asking you to come and speak at treatment programs that I've worked at or speak into my class at New Creation College, uh-huh. and now the second time coming on the show. And, you know, 2020 has been a very interesting year, <laughs> to the least. And, you know, there's been so much emphasis that's been turned towards the coronavirus. And, you know, sadly, drug overdoses are getting worse and worse. And in my mind, I kind of see them as being pushed aside. And, you know, between September 11th through the 12th, we had, what, seven overdoses in Pasadena, where three had died and one's in grave condition, which is literally almost unheard of in Pasadena. And, you know, as we were kind of talking about in the beginning here, you know, I want to have a really good conversation with you to discuss probably some difficult questions and your thoughts on very unpopular remedies. <laughs> and, uh, and so Jody, how are you doing? I'm good, Eric. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And it's, it's always an honor to work with you. I, I just, I, I find you fascinating, honestly. <laughs> um, and you're very knowledgeable on the subject. So thank you for having me today. Yeah, I've had a lot of years of experience, you know, yes. on the personal side of it. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously I've been working in the field and working with, you know, these people for a lot of years. And, you know, I was, I was a little saddened that we were not able to actually hold that event that, uh, you know, because of obviously not, you know, not allowing large crowds to take place. And uh, I remember actually getting the message and then I was like, oh yeah, I'm going. And I clicked send. My wife even did the same thing. Oh. And it was the next day and I was like, you know, that thing was canceled. <laughs> oh. oh, I know. Uh, but how did, you, uh, how did you see that event as, how did it go from your perspective? Um, you know what? It, it went well. I was hoping more cars would drive through. Um, I put up a couple large banners, you know, on a main street and um, I wanted people that aren't affected yet to come in and especially with their kids. And, you know, there's a soccer field right where I had this, right where I had over a hundred photos of our lost loved ones hanging on this, this fence. And there were parents parked waiting for their children who were probably in middle school, uh, waiting for them to finish their soccer practice. And they had some of their other uh, kids in the car with them. And it was interesting that I didn't see them walk out and like walk down that row and look at those kids and talk about it and ask us questions. They sat in their car and that was kind of disturbing to me. I had a couple parents do come out. They came out and, you know, they, um, they didn't have a, a problem yet with their kids and Um, this is all about prevention. We need to catch them, reach them before they start. And so I I was so proud of those parents for coming out and, and walking down that line and looking at every, you know, young person that had passed away, moms and dads that were on that, on that fence. And, um, and, 
ask questions, you know, and take my overtaking DVD with them and, and show their kids, you know, at home. So they were interested. And so, but um, otherwise, you know, it was very, very hard. Um, so because of COVID, we couldn't have the event for International Overdose Awareness Day inside like I usually do. So I had it outdoors at a skate park in Laguna Niguel. And over a three-day period from Friday to Monday, uh, or excuse me, Saturday to Monday, I was able to have these photos up, these banners up of um, lost loved ones. And, um, and it was really hard. I mean, I, I printed a, most of the photos. And then there were parents that came, and they brought their photos. There were friends who lost their friends that brought photos. And they hung them up themselves. And there were flowers surrounding the photos. It was a beautiful memorial. And it was um, to honor our loved ones, to end the stigma that surrounds addiction, and to prevent. I think so many parents are, are so ashamed of the, you know, their, their kids being out using drugs or, you know, I've been to so many funerals, you know, over the years that I've always felt that why are these people not talking about it at their funeral? I've always felt that way, honestly, you know, and I know it's a shame based thing, but you know, I go to these yeah. funerals and they're just like, Oh, it was so, so great. And it was so wonderful. And he did this and he did that. And, and there was nothing that was ever mentioned about what he died from. It's interesting you say that because I too have been to several funerals, many funerals where it's not mentioned. And I actually, at Jared's funeral service, there was a friend of mine who um, her, her son was sitting there, a close friend of Jared's, and he was there with some other friends who we knew that were struggling at the time. And she, her eulogy was written so beautifully to honor Jared, but to also save her son and those kids that were sitting there. And it was just beautifully written. I mean, really. It, um, but there are times when I've asked some parents if, um, if they want this read at their service and they say no, and that's okay. I'm not judging, sure. but, um, but, you know, it's just sad to me when, when they aren't, you know, sharing the truth because they're, that is the place where so many of their friends are that are struggling. I mean, that is one room filled with young people that are, are on heroin. I mean, they've come high to these funeral services. They've been there high. And so anyway, I know it's a touchy subject, but. You know, our, our school system has always been, has done a poor job in the educational aspects of this. And I, I also think too, and I see a lot of families that, you know, if you talk about sex or you talk about drugs or, you know, they're like, oh no, I don't want you to talk to my kids about that. Because it almost in their mind says that, oh, you're just going to, you know, cre create something that will interest them. We also have to know that it's important not to keep quiet and, not, and it's okay not to keep quiet. And we do need to share the fact that our kids are dying from an overdose because it's preventable. And again, I'm not judging any parents at all, but I just feel like, you know, it, it can kill them. It can, it's killing these kids by not sharing the truth. And, and that to me is, is just too important to share. You know, reducing the demand versus reducing the supply. 
and reducing demand, we are actually looking at the people. We're looking at, okay, what is the reason that's causing these people to use drugs? Where reducing supply is looking at the drugs. And I think that, again, we should always put much more emphasis in, in asking ourselves, what is it that's causing these people to move down that direction? What is it that we as a society maybe could do better to help them find better ways of dealing with their issues or dealing with their problems? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it's done early enough. I mean, especially nowadays, we're seeing, you know, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds that are dying of overdoses. And yeah, it's Alex, blowing me away. Alex, that was on that video. Mm -hmm. You know, he was 14. 14. And the day that I, of the event, that the mother mentioned that she had heard of a 14 and a 17-year-old besides her son. Um, so that was three kids, you know, within, I mean, unbelievable. They are starting younger and at 14, yeah, to want to go on, you know, on a social um, media outlet like Snapchat um, and get pills. It's like mind boggling to me. I mean, that's why education is so important. That's why we need to keep talking about this because we need to let these parents know, you know, what is happening to our kids here. They need to be monitored. They really need to be monitored online and see what they're doing. And, and their phones, you know, there's, there's all these apps that they can be monitoring their kids. And they, they really, it's sad, but this is what's going on. They have to be monitoring what's, what, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's just, I can't believe it. They're so young. You know, as we were saying earlier, I'm going to bring this up real quick, is that, you know, what is the solution? I don't know. In a hundred percent. But what I do know is what we are doing now is not working. <laughs> no. Um, sadly, I know. So I've been an advocate 10 and a half years since the day J Jared passed. And there was a slight decrease in deaths because of um, monitoring and regulating the opioids that are coming in and out of the doctor office. Um, and then the fentanyl hit here. I mean, everywhere, but here where I'm talking in Orange County, fentanyl hit hard. I guess it's been about five years, six years ago. And um, it's just gotten worse and worse with the fentanyl. And now these young people are going straight to fentanyl before. Yeah, they're just going, you know, those that are, were on heroin are saying, you know what, I'm going to try fentanyl now. And they're going straight to fentanyl and they're dying. And if they aren't dying, if they overdose and they survive, then they want to go back to heroin. And that's not working for them anymore because the fentanyl is so much stronger. Well, 50 so, to 100 times more powerful. Yeah. So they think, oh, I almost died. I, I, you know, I overdosed. I'm going to go back to heroin. Well, that doesn't work because now, you know, they build up that tolerance. That, yeah. And they're going back to the fentanyl and they're dying. And it's just so scary. I mean, and besides that, you know, they're going straight to fentanyl, but it's also the deadly combinations that are still killing them. It is the deadly combination of Oxycontin with the Xanax and alcohol, you know, the, I mean, that's right up there too. So. So I, I, um, I'd shown you, I, I got these, uh, so I got these tests. These are, what is that? these are rapid response. Um, they're fentanyl tests. 
that's why I'm actually looking for heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Because I want it's to te- I want to test these. I just haven't had opportunity really to go out and look for it. But the uh, these tests actually you can test the drug itself to know if there's fentanyl. If in there's it. fentanyl in it, because you know most drug tests that you take, um, if they're urine, you're testing for metabolites. You're not actually testing for the drug itself. You know you're testing for what your body converts it into. And so with uh, this test, you're actually able to test the drug itself. So those that, okay. So for those that are chasing a better high because they've built that tolerance to even heroin and they want, do they want the fentanyl in the heroin? I, there's a lot of people I know that are dying of overdoses that did not know it was fentanyl, that they actually thought it was heroin. Okay. Um, you know, to me, again, it just goes back to the reality that, you know, our policies and stuff are not working. People are using drugs and people are going to use drugs. And no matter how much we, we want to, you know, fight against, you know, the harmfulness of drugs and, you know, trying to take it away, more and more of it is coming available. I know. I just wish, you know, there was a way where we can just um, not have it, period. <laughs> that's the ideal solution, you know. To <laughs> yeah, if that. there was a way that it wasn't, yeah, available at all, and they just had to, you know, get clean and move on. That's what we'd all want, but sadly, in the real world, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's not going to happen. Well, I feel, I feel like the fentanyl test. So, where did you get that? Is it easy? I just want to ask you yeah. because I got them. We all mind. need to hear. Yes, I got so, them online. They're called rapid response drug tests, and you can. Ex- um, I, I just looked it up online, and is I is it watched, expensive? How much is it? No, they're actually not. I think I I think I paid for ten of them, fifteen dollars something. Okay, so everyone should have those that are using. You know, they should be testing yes. what's what's in that heroin. Um, yeah, and. And unfortunately, I know that hospitals, when there's an overdose, sometimes they're not testing to see if they had fentanyl in their system. And I think that should be required as well. The last time you were on, we were talking about, you know, the harm reduction concept. And, and I think that that is something that is just so important. And we really need to look at the reality is people are going to use drugs. So what is it that we can do to help reduce the harm? And to help with people not dying, you know, from drug overdoses. Okay. So one way, um, I'm on this campaign now um, with Mark Toast. And uh, what we're doing is we're giving out these pouches. It's called the Deterra system. And this pouch, you can put about 40 pills into this pouch and with some hot water and shake it and throw it away. I think that is a great way for harm reduction. That's a great way to get rid of those expired unused pills. And it's important. Um, They have to do that because when they're in their homes, they don't know if their grandson or granddaughter who's 12 years old is going to go into their medicine cabinet and take a few. Oh, so you're talking about the parents. For parents, grandparents, and grandparents too. Yeah. the grandparents. We're, we're, we're actually starting with the seniors, the senior citizens. We're, we're giving them out to them, 
because you know how many pills they get. <laughs> They're on a lot of four-year-old that overdosed on taking uh, mother's or grandmother's, you know, pills. And that is something we've seen. Yeah. Councilman Greg Rath, he's running for Congress, and Lori Davies, the mayor of Laguna Niguel, they're on this campaign as well, helping out with this. Um, we have a good group of people that are trying to get, Tanya Brown wanted to help. So we want to get these pouches into a lot of these homes and get rid of those expired unused pills. I mean, it's just, you know, they're not needed. They, they need to get, get them out of their and, home. And I think teaching people, you know, ways to make sure they're locking up their stuff. Lock them up too, but now, have. yeah, and they're not. I mean, I know that they're not locking up. They're, you know, a lot of them aren't locking them up. Mm -hmm. um, COVID, you know, a lot of people are home now, yeah. and all the kids are home. We, we need to, ex de yeah, get rid of these medications. You can use the fentanyl patch, and you can throw it in that pouch as well. Um, liquids, uh, not just pills. So anything that uh, they're not using, any kind of medications, you know, they need to de just dispose of them. Um, so that's one way for harm reduction. Another is, of course, the naloxone, the Narcon, and keeping that, you know, in their homes, in their cars, in their purses, and that can help, help save a life too. But as far as having these drugs available, you know, versus illegal, illegal, would it help if they were legalized? Yes, that was, that was the question we were talking about before we started this was, yeah. what is your thoughts on legalizing of drugs? Because as we did discuss, you know, there, there are countries out there that have done it. Mm -hmm. and they have found it to be effective in certain areas uh, right. with overdoses dropping because now you had people that were, you know, coming out of the woodworks and um, more available for the, um, you know, people within the health department to have access to talking to these people. Um, and so there is that side to it and there is that perk. Um, there's yeah. also, I know a lot of fears that, okay, if you legalize it, then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have more people that will do it. Um, I sort of, argue that because I don't think most people don't use drugs because it's illegal. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, I think that I don't really think that has, that has a component. Yeah. To it. yeah right. Um, yeah. I know, so. but is it enabling? Well, and that's the question, you know, is it, is it enabling? And I mean, uh, we are, we're always talking about enabling our kids Kick the, kicking them out because they're using, because they're on drugs. Kick them out of the house. My thoughts on it, and I've thought about this really heavily over the years, and just as we were talking before about my real frustration with Sacramento and the passing of the laws against the, the, um, the vapes, you know, because, again, it's, you know, our youth are, are using it more and more. Yeah. prohibiting it, it's not going to stop it. Prohibiting it is just going to force people to go online and purchase it from other sources because that was not made illegal. You can actually legally go online and you can purchase it as long as you buy it from out of state. And so that hasn't really changed that. So now obviously, you know, these kids don't have to show IDs anywhere because now you just go online. And so that, that really, uh. 
frustrated me when I just thought about the whole picture behind that. The other thought that I've always had is that, you know, is, you know, all the murders and all the crime and all that kind of stuff. Does that have to do as much with the drug itself or the legality behind the drug? Because it's so expensive. And so these people need to supply their habits. And so um, committing crimes seems more prevalent as a quick fix to get more money right. um, than going out and getting a job and doing it <laughs> legally. <laughs> yeah, so there's yeah that that's a good point. To, yeah, know, that's that true. Honestly, I've always, I have tossed it back and forth. I, yeah, I've thought too that, yeah, I don't know if that's the right route to go. But then I also have my other thoughts behind the benefits of legalizing it um, because there are. There's also the benefits of keeping it illegal <laughs> also. Uh -huh. um, and so is prohibition creating more harm than good or vice versa? Would it, would it better for us know. to legalize it? You know, Oof. and oh my gosh, I know it's great questions you come up with there, honestly. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I just don't have the answer for that. I, I don't know. I it just, you know, because I see, I see young people with, you know, because of substance, because of the drugs, the drug use, and they're losing their limbs, their legs, and arms, and. And it wouldn't probably have them using more. It doesn't matter whether it's legal or not. They're going to use. They're going to do it anyways. Right. And as I was saying, you know, I don't think legality has anything to do with the choices that people make to use drugs or not. You know, right. I mean, it's like a, you could make drugs illegal. I'm not going to do it, you know, and I'm not uh, going to do it because of. Except, you know, but, but sometimes though, jail prison when they do go yes now that's a, and, yes. and then they come out they stay clean sometimes you know sometimes they relapse sometimes they're like done and they stay clean because i don't i don't want to go back to prison i don't want to go back to jail because of what happened to me you know i will say honestly that that getting arrested saved my life and so now i'm one example of a lot that it didn't work for also, um, you know, and I, and I also think too that, you know, I mean, I'm a six time convicted felon. And so of course, all of those arrests I had definitely negatively impact, you know, it doesn't yeah. really anymore, but it, it did impact me early on, especially just as I yeah. was talking to Ronnie and, you know, the view of the world on this is a, um, you know, convicted felon not to be trusted you know, yes. why are you going to hire that guy? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a scary person. He's spent more than, you know, almost 30 years of his life in prison, you know, so we have that stuff going on. Right. Um, right. Right. And, but yes, for me, the prohibition part to it did save my life because it did force me to force me away from it, even though yeah. I could still get drugs in jail too. Uh, right, right. Uh, I know some of Jared's friends that went to jail and then they ended up doing drug court, save them. Yeah. You know, they've been clean. Yeah. Um, there, there is that. And that's the other side that I've always thought of. And then, you know, we have now in the state of California where 
um, all possessions now are misdemeanors, so they're no longer felonies. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, what, I mean, as far as the impact that that has had by reducing them to misdemeanors, although again, for people that are using it for personal use, I, I think it is good that they don't have felonies on their records. I know. I uh, do too. Mm-hmm. Such a tough subject though. It really is. I, it's just, and it is such a, um, a hated topic, you know, for, for a lot of people, you know? Um, yeah. And, well, it needs to be talked about, you know, and I'm so glad for your podcast because we need to keep talking about all these important subjects. There's so much to this whole thing, this epidemic. There's just so many, you know, venues, avenues to it. And we need to talk about all of it. And it's also why I've eliminated the term solution from things because um, there's not a solution, you know, we, no. have, we have ideas and we have thoughts and we, if we look at people individually as individuals, their solution is going to be different maybe than somebody else's solution. The MAP program, you know, medically assisted treatment. Oh yeah. Um, it has been very beneficial for certain people. It has drastically changed people's lives. Um, yeah. Now, on the other side to it, it has also ruined people's lives. And I know individuals that ended up getting on that. They got Suboxone and then they were selling their Suboxone for heroin. They were trading it for heroin. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I don't like that. So that, but there, but it really doesn't come back to I think the problem with the mat as much as it does their motivation, and with the reason why, why you know, why did why were they doing it? And it was right. very different than the person that it's succeeding for. You know? So I'm glad you brought it up because the My Mat Clinic in Laguna Hills is excellent, yeah. I feel. Um, because they, they, just, they just don't say, here's some Suboxone, bye. You know, they don't, they, they may put them on Suboxone for about a week while they're monitoring. Um, and then that's just the maintenance. And then they take them off it. And then they start them on Sublocade, which is a once a month injection, once a month in the stomach or wherever, um, Sublocade. And it's, you know, to me, it's like, you know, giving chemo for cancer. And this is their medication now. They're going to be on it for a little, not forever, but they're going to be on it while they're getting counseling and while they're talking about why they started in the first place and while their brain is healing and they're not craving their fix. And, um, you know, so by maybe a year, maybe less, they're off it and they are feeling a lot better they're feeling a lot better they're getting a job and they're moving on and it's i just i'm i'm all for that you yeah. know but i'm not for just saying going to a doctor and saying okay thanks for the suboxone no that's not the answer without without any kind of support or treatment it's going to be very ineffective right and and that i think is really what comes along with it is that if you do get on that and you get on suboxone you do need the counseling or the therapy or the, you know, the assistance that yeah, along with it. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I would like to see physicians start really concentrating on weaning them off of, you know, the Vicodin or the Oxycontin, or the um, Percocets, you know, these pills, start weaning them off of it slowly and having them, you know, um, giving them direction as 
to, if you still have some pain, this is what you're going to do instead. Right. Yeah. Now the, that place you're talking about, I mean, that's their goal is to ultimately get them off it. Yeah. They're only on Suboxone for a week, maybe, maybe two weeks the most. And, you know, and then they're off of that. Um, yeah. And then they start the supplicate. One thing that we're seeing now too is a lot more overdoses on meth and cocaine. Yeah. You've seen the, that, those numbers and they're actually finding uh, fentanyl that's and actually meth. been cut and cocaine. meth and cocaine. Yeah. And it's scary. The, you know, they're, and I know with the federal government, you know, they did this, you know, put a lot of money into this opioid problem, which of course now eliminates a lot of the funding for the meth and the cocaine and the issues that we're seeing with that. And the one thing that they do not have is a medic, like a, a MAP program or a medically assisted treatment for methamphetamine. They have right. There's no. no, there's no craving medication. There's nothing that, and this is why, you know, methamphetamine was my drug of choice. And it was just so brutal to get off of. Oh yeah. And the depression that you fall into, you know, when you get, when you come off it, everybody always thinks detox with the opioids, but there's an enormously horrible detox with meth. It's in a different fashion. It's not all the pain, but it is a deep, deep depression that a lot of people end up relapsing on and go back out to using because how about suicidal thoughts? Absolutely. It, it, it can fall to that level for some people. That's the other issue we're seeing a lot with our youth. I mean, the suicide rate is just yeah. unbelievable. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And so you're right. No, you're right. They need to really put the funding too towards something to help with the meth because the meth is out there. It's all over. And it's spreading too. I mean, when I, I used to go to Maryland when I would go out there to get off of meth. That was my that was my detox fashion. Was I was just so spun out and in such a horrible, um, you know, way here uh, in California, and so I'd met a girl and ended up going to Maryland. And Maryland had no methamphetamine at that time. They had heroin was big, crack was huge, but mm-hmm. they didn't have methamphetamine. Now we're seeing that it's going to the East Coast. It's spreading, oh. spreading out, and so methamphetamine. All drugs, and we've seen this, are very cyclical. Heroin will start to go away. Time goes on, and methamphetamine will, will come back up, and cocaine will, will uh, you know, really expand, and, and then that'll eventually go away, and heroin will come back. And that's what we've seen through all of history is this cyclical fashion with drugs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, you know, here's another one, too. Because I know that a lot of doctors prescribe it <laughs> to the young people, which is Xanax. Yeah. You know, the Xanax for the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 17-year-olds are getting their hands on Xanax. And instead of saying for their, you know, little anxiety that they're having, you know, go out and go to the gym or take some yoga classes and, you know, less sugar in your system, take some Xanax. And they're hooked on it. It's yeah. addicting. Now well, they're dying. The thing I think it is so important for people to understand about benzodiazepines or barbiturates and any of those sedative hypnotics is that they should only be used for as needed. 
um, for panic disorders. I mean, if you look at panic, like a true panic disorder, really the only medication that is effective is a sedative hypnotic, but it really should be as an, as needed for those severe cases. Because if you take yeah. a sedative hypnotic as prescribed and never abuse it, you will become physically dependent. I've taught clients over the years and I always tell clients, don't trust your doctor know what you're taking because you need to research it for yourself to make a decision on, am I willing to pay the price by taking this medication? Here's the thing too, with an 18 year old, just because they're 18, they're allowed to go in and get it. Mm -hmm. That's just a number. They are still so young. Yeah. So for them to make a decision on something that is so powerful for their brain, you know, I mean, these Xanax is powerful. And it does lead to stronger medications. And the, all these kids, Jared and his friends, and a lot of them, didn't just go right to heroin. Right. They didn't go right to opioids. They started on Xanax and, you know, th these other pills that led to something or else. Vicodin or... The Vicodin. Uh, yeah, Somas and... Oxycontin uh, and... Yeah, Percocet. I mean, all of those pills yeah. were prescribed, you know, to, to them, but they didn't start with the opioids. They started with the benzodiazepines. A lot of them did. And they're so easy to get. They're so easy to get. Yeah. I mean, doctors, yeah, doctors are willing to, you know, I just, I still always <laughs> laugh about going to that doctor. I mean, I got three prescriptions in one day for meth, for amphetamines, for Adderall. I mean, that's, yeah. that's about as close to my drug of choice as you can get. <laughs> just add one more right. methyl group to it and you've got my drug of choice and i'm laughing because i know who you're talking about and that doctor <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable I, I i just i'm so glad you did that just so you can see for yourself what he was like and i mean unbelievable unbelievable and i i like i said i have had women my age you know meet with me at Starbucks talking about that doctor prescribing Adderall and their life went just like they stayed on it. They couldn't get off it. They were on it for so long and it was a nightmare for yeah. them. Yeah. It's harder to, to get to wean off Adderall than it is heroin for a lot of them. Yeah. I got a question I was thinking about and I, I know you're married and, and your husband, um, you know, obviously had to go through all of the same stuff that you did. How did he deal with any of the, if you're okay with sharing that? Yeah. Um, how did, how did he deal with Jared's death or yeah. with and, and all of this stuff that that's gone yeah. on? And of course your advocacy and your fighting and where does he stand with all this? Well, he's used to me um, advocating, whether it was Jared pitching uh, or Blake, my boys pitching on the mound and me yelling at the umpire because <laughs> that they did pitch a strike. It wasn't a ball. So my son, my husband had to deal with me on the stands at the baseball field. Um, now, um, and then, you know, when we were struggling with Jared, um, which we thought was just the marijuana issue, not, we had no idea about the pills. We both were lost. We were both like just going, what are we going to do with them? You know, he started getting trouble, you know, into trouble because of marijuana, got the DUI and, and, and then I hit and run after the DUI, you know, it's like, Oh my goodness. He was facing probably a long time in jail because while he had his DUI and he didn't have his license to drive, 
in the parking lot at the courthouse, he decides to move the car to a shady spot, he said, which was his friend's car that he crashed into a Mercedes in the parking lot and, and then took off. And so we, he was facing charges for all that. But um, Bill and I were just like, we, we were so lost. We didn't know what to do. And, and uh, we weren't educated and we didn't know the signs to look for. Okay, so then Jared passed away. And now my husband and I are dealing with that. And you know what? He, bless his heart, he supported me. I was a wreck. I didn't eat. I was losing a bunch of weight. And he's like showing me a picture of us getting, you know, when we were married and, you know, and Blake, he supports me. He supports what I do. And he knows that this is why Jared, why God took Jared for me to do what I'm doing. And so he's been supportive in that way. And I appreciate all his support. I mean, all the events, you know, he's like loading stuff in the van, you know, and, and helping set up and taking it all out of the car and, you know, there's a lot of uh, physical work to an event um, and he's right there. And so is Blake, my other son, my son, Blake, and they're both amazing. And, um, and I'm very fortunate because I know that a lot of uh, couples have divorced because of this issue. Um, so I am very, very fortunate. That's why I asked that question because I have seen that sadly. And I've seen parents that have lost their kids and, it just destroyed their family. They, I know when I was young, we had a, uh, one of the people that went to school with us, he had gotten in a really bad car accident. Um, I think he was drunk, flipped off the overpass, and it killed him instantly. And his, I, I believe the father ended up losing his job. They lost their house, they ended up divorcing. It just completely devastated them. And so that's why I'd ask that question, because I think that is important that that it is something like that is so traumatic. And, you know, then it all of a sudden becomes, you know, one blaming the other sometimes. Oh, this is your fault. Right. Uh, sometimes even blaming right. the the, the uh, other kid. You know, they may have a yeah. you know, another son or a daughter and then, you know, putting blame so sad. On yeah, yeah. And you're right. And then also the fact like I'm, I'm, I have a new friend now who recently lost her, her son. And she was telling me that her husband um, emotionally, verbally abused her son. And she thinks that's why he, you know, he turned to these harder drugs um, because of uh, maybe he started with the marijuana, you know, and the benzos or whatever. And he was um, the husband, the father was like verbally abusive to him. And so they ended up in divorce and she, you know, they blame each other or whatever, but there was no blame between my husband and I, because we were both really at a loss. We weren't, you know, we didn't, we were just together in this going, what are we going to do? How, how do we handle this? Yeah. You know? Um, but you know how I get the calls for help or I, I get, parents who lost kids wanting to call me for support. And I talk to them all the time. And I, I try to keep that away from Bill, you know, from I go upstairs and I'll talk on the phone. So Bill doesn't have to hear it every day. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's how I deal with it. But as far as what I do, he's very supportive and I'm, I'm blessed about that. So. 
abuse. I, I used to teach a family group uh, years ago at a treatment program. And, you know, the one thing that we always taught was, you know, even, even the concept of detachment, you know, that Al-Anon talks about, because again, you know, you realistically, you have no control over your child. You can, you know, do anything and everything that you want to do to try to, you know, keep them hidden in the world, but it's not going to work. And right. we, ed we educate our children and, you know, that's where I kind of believe in education and self-responsibility. And so, you know, as families, you do the best you can to educate your children on, you know, um, you know, it could be drugs and the harm. And so that ability uh -huh. to be able to detach, I love you, but I'm, I can't stay emotionally enmeshed. You have to take care of yourself. And I mean, just, you know, as we teach the people that abuse drugs, you had, you got to take care of yourself first before sure. you can even ever have any kind of impact on helping your child is that we have to be good. Right. We have to be help, healthy. And then I can go about worrying about the education I can do there. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I know you're right though, you know, and so for the parents out there that don't have that struggle with their kids, um, it's hard for them to understand the fact that these kids do make their own choices and their own decisions, no matter. I talked to Jared until I was blue in the face. You know, I mean, they're still going to do what they're going to do, what they want to do. And, you know, a lot of parents out there with that stigma that say, oh, you know, I see it all the time on Facebook where they're making comments saying, well, you need to watch your kid better. You know, you need to watch what they're doing. Oh, really? Really? At you know, when they get their license, that's where it all starts. They have that freedom to drive and go places where you don't know they're at. You know, at 18 years old, you're going to, you know, call their friend's home to, or call his cell phone. I mean, you know, to see if he's really there. You don't know where they're at. You can't control every move that they're making. And you, can, you can spend every day just keeping an eye on your kid and watching your kid and just locking them in the basement right so naturally they're not going to be able to do anything but but there is going to yeah. be a point to where they are going to have to hit the world and so if yeah. you have never allowed them the experience to deal with stresses trauma issues that are in real life you're setting right. them up for the worst failure ever right so, I, exactly that's so true you got to give them that freedom and and just hope they i mean make the best I, you know but and just hope it right. But but what what I mentioned earlier about the middle school level kids and watching, seeing what they're doing on their cell phones and online on their computer, monitoring. There's apps out there, blah blah blah. You know, that's if you have any question in your mind. You know what I mean? It's like if they have any questions of who they're hanging around with or what they're doing, monitor them. You know, I mean, don't take that that question in their head for granted because. They're usually right. So th they need to then start really check their pockets and start. We had discussed this before about, you know, at, at high schools, you know, about going in and being able to teach, you know, um, an educational concept on drugs, you know, and alcohol in a high school with a very different tactic. And it's something that I really wanted to try out. Um, and you know, part of it just goes back to number one, not treating them like they're stupid, you know, um, going in with that mentality of just say no, 
that completely eliminates, you know, the, the human mind's interest to want to understand. And so you, yeah. if you go in with a tactic more of, and I've talked to you about this before is, is, you know, the, you know, I like to get high. There's nothing wrong with getting high, but highness, right. Actually comes from within and go in more of this tactic, you know, that highness is not a property of drugs, it's a property of people. So eliminating the stigma of getting high. Um, and if you go in with that tactic, you are going to attract people's attention. Sure. Because if I go in and I say drugs are bad and then you've got, you know, all these people out here that have already done them. Right. And they're like, you're full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. They're great. You've just lost those people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've, you know, I've really thought on that idea. How do we present to, and especially with high school kids, because the high school kids are the ones they're already in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, not all Mm -hmm. of them necessarily, but, but a lot of them are, they're already in it. And so how do we reach those people? You know, that's why the, the, you know, the dare program was found to be very ineffective in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Nancy's Reagan, just say no, uh, was very ineffective. Um, (laughs) And, and part of red ribbon week. Yeah. You know, and, and part of that was, you know, they brought police officers in, you know, so you had the police officers that would come in and it was more of a scare tactic. You cannot scare people away from it. That's not how you, yeah. how you do it. You know, you, you yeah. want to be able to go in there and to gain their trust, you know, to gain their, um, you know, their, their willingness and to listen to you. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do something like that, you've lost them they're gone. Yeah. You know, in their mind, they're just, they're thinking about getting high. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we can teach them a better way to get high. Yeah. And it, because drugs and alcohol, all they do is they will eventually destroy that ability to get high. So for me to stay high the rest of my life, clean and sober is the only way to do it, which is such a backwards way of thinking. You know, because everybody yeah. contemplates high with drugs. No, that's not what highness is. Highness is something that I possess. That's the way that I really think that we can get into people's minds and get them to be yeah. able to listen and say, okay, you know what? Maybe this person does know what they're talking about. You know, I don't really always know what I'm talking about, but I can, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They, yeah, you know, they, they do, they need to, they need to find their passion and whether it's deep sea fishing, you know, going fishing, that's fun. Um, jumping out of a plane, um, <laughs> you know, skydiving, my boy Taylor, who's in recovery, he's jumping out now by himself without, uh, the rant, tandem jumping. He's jumping. He went through all the training. Oh my God. Anyway, he's jumping out of planes, um, skydiving and loving it but yeah i mean they need they need to find their passions and they all have a passion for something and they need to you know to just follow their passion and do those things to stay high and i mean that's what life's all about you know parents too i just want to say that parents need to educate themselves by going to all those meetings at the school you know in high school where the sheriffs do come with the paraphernalia and all the stuff that they want to show them 
they need to show up to those meetings because, uh, you know, there's always something new that's going to pop up and they don't know everything. Um, and uh, when I have done those, I've gone there and I've spoke or I've just gone my, you know, myself to, to hear what the shows have to say. Um, there's a, maybe 30 parents out of how many parents, you know, 3000, there's 30 that show up maybe. So that's sad. You know, when we're all as a community doing our best to try to educate and, and spread awareness and for the parents not to go down that road, or if they are already in that road to get help and, and find resources at these meetings, they need to attend these meetings and, um, you know, be a part of the solution. No. <laughs> they, need, they need to attend, you know, and, and hear what, what we all have to say mm-hmm. um, because it's important. But unfortunately, you know, just not enough attend these parent nights. Right. Again, as I always say to you, you know, I think you're such an amazing person. Um, You know, Jared did not leave in vain, you know, in any way, shape or form, because, you know, as, as, you know, that experience, which was horrible, um, you know, something you had to go through, but at the same time, you know, it, it has you know, put you in a light to where you're saving lives. You're saving hundreds, maybe yeah. thousands of lives, you know, by your oh, education, you. you know, you're talking to families, you're talking yeah. to the people that are struggling, you know, um, and fighting well, for better routes. And you too. I appreciate that right back at you, what you're doing and you're a parent. And so it's pretty amazing, you know, what you're doing for your kids as well. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have all the answers. Um, there are those that probably hate me and don't agree with what I have to say or see me the wrong way. And I, I'm sorry for that, but you know what? It's like, I just, I do what I can and what I know and what I see all the the time and every day I'm learning from those that are in recovery and those that are struggling. And that's where my information comes from is from all of you in recovery and those that are still struggling. That's where I get my, my information from. So I, you know, I'm, I'm just sharing what I know and what I hear from parents and kids and you. (laughs) What's the worst thing you've heard? That I'm a body broker. Wow. Oh yeah. I'm a body broker. You're one of those people? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No way. You oh actually, you have gotten that, that you're a body broker. Yes. Wow. Yeah. She is posting it. You know, one woman posting it all over social media. Jody Barber's a body broker. Oh. Who can be farther person? from the truth. Who is this Who? person? Just, yeah, like some ra- <laughs> random person or is it somebody you know? I, I've never met her in person. Um, somebody from you know social media um, that uh, she just likes to uh, spread these rumors, you know, uh, around with not just me, other people too that she lies about that I personally do know that I know is not truthful. But it's not just her, and there's been a couple others out there, you know, that hate overtaken. They hate the documentary because they say it is just a scare tactic. I mean, you look at anything and, you know, you can look at it from different perspectives. I mean, depending on how you, you know, 
it's like, okay, that could be a scare tactic from somebody's perspective because, oh, you know, people are taking pills and they're dying and, you know, don't do this, like that kind of scenario. And that's know? okay. Absolutely. Actually. And then you've got the other side to where it's like, I just want to educate you, you know? I just want people to be. That was the main, it. that was the reason. You know, this is real. Yeah, and, Chris, and Christine and I didn't produce Overtaken saying, okay, let's scare all the kids yeah. by producing this, you know, film with a bun- but, uh, several young adults sharing their heartfelt true stories of addiction. Mm-hmm. That was not in our mind at all when we, when we produced it. It was merely to educate you know, to educate and see where, and to end the stigma because they were beautiful kids, you know, talking from great families and straight A students and cheerleaders and football players. So it was to end the stigma and to educate, you know, but if it is a scare tactic for those in middle school, especially then good. I hope it does scare them and they don't, you you know, ever try it. I mean, even if you started, even if you started the idea with that, let's do a scare tactic, it's an idea. I mean, it's like, you know, okay, let's do it. I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Who cares? But it really, I know. It's like opinions, it wasn't, you know, yeah, it's like I, I always, I got, always just kind of find opinions comical sometimes, you know, when people just have these, you know, opinions about things that they don't know anything about. You know, and, so, yeah. and sometimes it does make them look very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does especially for the people that know us and know yes. the truth. Um, yes. Yeah. So I know I, I, I don't lose sleep over it, but it's like, you know, it's crazy out there. I, I, could, not, <laughs> I could not see you selling people. <laughs> I, I couldn't see that, you know? <laughs> I know. Oh my God. You know, or another thing was that I, she actually said that I'm killing. She said it to my face, not to my face, but um, actually on the phone when we talked, I'm killing the kids. I'm killing them, she told me, wow. by, helping the, by helping find the scholarships for them and the treatment that aren't ethical places. So that's a whole other issue. You know, when I put some of these kids in the treatment back then, um, they were ethical. But then sometimes later on, after I place them in, then there's an overdose after the fact that I already put them in a place. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you can only, you know, later on, you can only go off the information you have. (laughs) You know what? Where are they going to go? There there were places with this, you know, um, unethical when all that stuff was really going on heavy that surprised me you know, that were amazing places. And then all of a sudden, you know, getting raided by the FBI or there's, you know, you hear horrible stories of stuff happening. And it's like, um, yeah, maybe I put people in there when my mindset thought this was great. And then if it changed, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Later on. Right. Exactly. That's the fact. And the, the fact that these places that I sent the kids to is places where, young adults were already at that worked for them. You know what I mean? So I already had the recommendation that this is a good place that worked for them. So, you know, I mean, and then a couple years later or whatever, there's an overdose and now, Oh, Jody sent him to an unethical place. Right. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? My buddy, Anthony Brown. Did you interview Anthony? Yeah, you did. I did. So the Brown Manor, the Brown Manor mansion house. Um, in Ohio. 
So um, he, he is, uh, you know, he's getting along with the renovation of that house. It's going to be a, a home for the homeless. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, he, need, he needs help. It needs work. And he needs a lot of work, actually. But it's getting there. But one part of the rooftop has been placed. And now he's working on the other section of the roof. And he, he does need funding for that. So if anybody would like to help with this home, that's a future home for the homeless, and those that are addicted, it's going to be a, a unbelievable place for them to go and get help. Um, if anybody wants to contribute, you know, towards the Brown Manor House, they can message um, Anthony Brown on Facebook and uh, do what they can to help out with that. Maybe they know somebody that's in the field of construction and they can help, you know, to get this, this home completed. Anthony Brown is an amazing person. Uh, yes, he actually had come out here. We did a podcast. This was before I started doing them on video. And so I do have the audio one. And I do actually want to do another one with him. So I'm going to actually get a hold of him. Oh, good. Doing another one because uh, he he really has a big heart and he really is trying to do something great. Um, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much, Jody. For, thank uh, you. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you. So I want to thank everybody for tuning into another episode of Recovering Through Highness. Keep getting high, but don't do it on drugs because the highness comes from within. Talk to you soon, guys. Mm-hmm.